Is it weird that death is associated with danger, given it's something that everybody... <laughs> well, yeah, because, I mean, it's the most dangerous thing, isn't it, to happen to you, death? <laughs> so, you know, you really want to live on the edge. <laughs> Flirt with death. <laughs> I don't like anything modern. I'm a vintage girl at heart. Lilies contain indole, which is a scent that's in some different flowers, things like jasmine, and that indole is also in decomposing corpses, it's in some of the gases, it's also in chocolate coffee and sperm. All the, all the things, that, you know, all the best things in life. Everyone else went to Thailand and stuff, and I went to a funeral home and learned how to do embalming. I have had to do autopsies on thousands of decomposed corpses, the abdomen completely distends, full of gases which can't get out of the body any other way. You have to smell what's going on in an autopsy. Never with a particularly good story, really, but it depends on what kind of story do you want, something gruesome, something sexy. My name's Carla Valentine, and I'm the technical curator at Bart's Pathology Museum. The museum is um, part of the medical school. It's been here since 1879 and it was purpose-built as a medical museum. So there are about 5,000 pots at the moment, so specimens or pots. For me, you know, they're, they're not just pots anymore, they are, they are people. There would be quite eminent um, surgeons and doctors who would be teaching students and they themselves would personally collect, um, you know, interesting examples of this kidney and this bladder. This is long before the days of consent, you know, so if, if a doctor saw something interesting in a cadaver, they would want to take it. So they tended to be that doctors would build up their own personal collections and then they would donate them to the museum, you know, once they'd retired. And then the collection would get bigger and bigger, so, so that's what happened here. Cadaver is the kind of scientific technical term, you know, when you call someone a patient it's because they are there in their entirety um, and when we talk about cadavers or pots or specimens they're usually portions of a person so they're sort of less, less human in a way, I think you can distance yourself a bit more. So with patient there's definitely more of an intimacy than there is with, you know, cadaver or corpse. So what you'll find is that people will react far more to a head in a pot or a hand possibly, um, then they will something less recognisable like a kidney. I researched the, the actual backgrounds of the specimen, so they certainly are more alive as people to me. So I think for me, I, I look at the pot and I can see the whole person, other people might not be able to until they're given that extra information as well. Because as soon as you look in the archives and you find out, well this is from Mr So-and-so who was 53 and he was very fond of, you know, creamy sauces and you know, all of a sudden then you, this is a person now, this isn't just a pancreas. Anything that's around sort of 200 years old used to get potted in alcohol. Um, doesn't smell as good as you know alcohol does now. Um, but it's the reason, for example, there's, there's that phrase, isn't there, tapping the admiral? Because apparently they put the body of Nelson into a barrel. Is that right? On the way back from, he's on on the way back from a war, and uh, they popped him into a, a barrel of brandy or something to preserve him. And by the time they got across the sea, all the sailors had drunk the brandy with, the, with his corpse inside it. So people say tap in the Admiral and that means like to have a drink. So, you know, alcohol and preservation of the flesh have gone together for a long time. But it does smell quite sort of a bit musty um, and there is definitely a, a sort of mammalian scent, you know, a kind of fleshy scent as well in there. 
they leak um you know they do kind of some of them um even though they're airtight they're made of perspex and they they're glued very tightly there are still micro pores in the plastic so over the years gradually the fluid will evaporate um, and that's really the main bulk of my job when I'm not wafting around finding out the stories behind the specimens and then telling everybody all about them um, that's really what I'm supposed to be doing all of the organs pretty much smell the same I think the difference is when something is particularly fatty fat has its own smell and it's the reason why for example if you do taxidermy um, taxiderming a rat smells very different to a mouse because rats are very fatty and they have this kind of um, it's a musky sort of rancid scent. So that, that smell of fat comes through with the alcohol in, in the older preserved specimens as well. So in, in the UK, um, we call it an APT, or Anatomical Pathology Technologist. You can see why we like APT. Um, and it basically means that I was qualified to assist the pathologist with the autopsy. So a pathologist is a medical doctor and an APT isn't, but we still have to train for about four years. Um, so we would actually do all the evisceration, which is the removal of the organs, and um, take all the specimens, for example, as well. Things like vitreous from the eye, bile, urine, blood, that sort of thing. So, um, so I did that for eight years and I actually trained in a coronial mortuary which is different to a hospital mortuary um, receives a lot of bodies from the outside or patients or cases from the outside from the outside means basically it could be from a person's home um, it could be from the railway tracks from you know the woods lots of different suicides um, just lots of sudden deaths at home that haven't been discovered for three four five weeks several months so it's a baptism of fire, really, to work in a coronial mortuary. I probably saw more in my three years there than I would have then done in my subsequent five years at other mortuaries. So it means that I also smelled a lot of things over the course of those three years. Um, the interesting thing about pathology is that it covers death and disease. So people who are sick and aren't dead also have smells associated with them as well and they can kind of continue on through death too so the things that are the most memorable for me sometimes are things like leg ulcers which have a really distinctive smell whether you're alive or dead and that can smell worse than the actual opening of the body in the post-mortem Not all deceased um, sort of patients are going to have a lot of gas in them. It's, it all depends on how they've died as well. One thing that is really awful is abdominal ascites, which is a fluid, because when you um, cut into the abdomen, the fluid will just escape everywhere. Obviously, when we're trained to open somebody during an evisceration, we don't penetrate the actual bowel. Like We kind of do what we can to not cut into the um, intestine or the stomach. So it tends to be, you know a bit gas free and I kind of learned my lesson the very first time I ever did one because I had a visor on um, and I just bent I went right over the top of it and put the PM40 in and it just went right into my face I mean I swallowed it and everything it was horrible and um, and I sort of looked at my boss as if to say why, why didn't you warn me and he sort of just went well you'll never do it again now will you and I never did like every time I did a decomposed uh, case after that I would sort of open it from over here somewhere and keep my mouth closed you have to smell what's going on in an autopsy because you can diagnose things with smell. I mean, you can smell alcohol in people. It's very sweet. Um, there's obviously some poisons that you can smell. Um, so it's part of the, the whole process. So nobody, no professional sort of examiner of the dead would ever try and mask the smell. 
It's really interesting that the that the the job is kind of sensory in its mm. like approach. Is that and is that how it's taught and how it's taught from the beginning? Because I think mm. that's probably not how people imagine, imagine it. it. Yeah, maybe people imagine that you're just trying to get through it and just do it as you know as easily as possible and just but it's I mean for me anyway I can't speak for every single APT or pathologist but it's definitely multi-sensory I mean you it's, you're looking at the colours of the the skin and the flesh you know that can tell you how a person died um obviously the feel of things with your hands you know you do obviously wear gloves as well but um but you can feel certain things and the smell yeah it is it is a multi-sensory examination so so it's not it would never be a good idea to try and ignore the smell although one thing that I've always been told is that when you think that you smell like a decomposed case because you've done one that morning, it's not really that you smell of it. It's just that the scent is trapped into the hairs in, in your nose. So that's what a pathologist taught me. But I still used to get a really wide berth on the bus. So I don't know whether that's true. <laughs> I don't know whether it's just a case of both those things. Obviously, cyanide is a really um, obvious one. And people think, oh, cyanide, we're not in Agatha Christie. But people use hydrogen cyanide gas to commit suicide all the time. And it's incredibly dangerous. And in fact, I was going to talk about how almonds is one of my favourite smells. I love marzipan and, and disarono um, and things like that. But um, hydrogen cyanide will smell like almonds. So if you suddenly get a whiff of that in the middle of an autopsy, you have to stop. To be honest, to me, I, I don't really dis distinguish smells as, like, by calling them nice or, you know, horrible. For me, the distinction is made between natural and unnatural. So if I am doing a decomposed person who has been found in the woods, so the natural smell of decomposition isn't as offensive as as other things which are kind of manufactured and certain chemicals that you get in labs and things like that, really gross. When it comes to sense you do acclimatize to them quite quickly anyway I, it didn't bother me you know I don't think I would have been a mortuary technician if I'd been bothered by the smell of decomposition you know I've been bothered more by the smell of certain people on the tube who are alive you know more than I have some cases um, and the best thing is to just kind of relax and let it you know just get used to it this this idea that um we like to put Vicks vapor rub in our nostrils is is a fallacy really you see that on tv quite a bit but you know if they're very fresh, um, you can still smell things like perfume and aftershave. And they also still smell of how they would smell when they're alive. So say, for example, they've had some garlic or something. They still smell a bit like that. Or, um, you know, if they've been out um, near a bonfire, that, that kind of smell would sort of still cling to them for a while. Obviously, after about four or five days in the fridge, that would have all gone. But if they're very fresh, then you can still smell that. In the last few years, there has been a slight growth of fragrances that directly reference or are inspired by death and decay. Yeah. And this is quite new because it's always been about seduction and scent mm. and life and, um, uh, and, and sex, basically. But now we've got death perfumes. Yeah. And I can see, and I imagine you have an interest in these. Yeah. So why do you think this is starting to happen? 
Well, a couple of things. I think there's there's this very huge death positive movement at the moment. So this is the idea that the more you think about death, it actually benefits life, um, makes you appreciate your mortality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think this idea of death now has a, a bit of a different meaning. Um, it's got this positive you know sort of slant on it and another thing that I wonder about is um one of my favorite perfumes was Kingdom by Alexander McQueen which is quite hard to get hold of now and that had quite a well it was meant to smell like female genitalia as far as I know and it had this very musky mammalian scent um and I think that kind of perfume with its sort of connotations of danger you know seductive you know a little bit weird and unusual seems to have spawned more experimentation when it comes to these death scents so as you said you know they are called death and decay or cemetery or, or whatever but what they have in common tends to be some kind of a heady flower like a lily or a rose or something um, and then things like fresh soil um, you know some kind of oriental deep bass note so I think it's all just to do with this danger and you know a bit gothy a bit bit you know more interesting than just you run of the mill taylor swift you know everyone wants the black widow now <laughs> she's more fashionable <laughs> so the one that i um i'm wearing at the moment and i tend to wear all the time is death and decay by lush and again i mean this one is it's just a kind of it's meant to smell like lilies is, is the idea and i love the smell of lilies and i don't think it really does smell that much like lilies but i do like the smell of it so did you want to have a, a little whiff Oh, can I have a drop, do you want actually? A drop? Yeah. I want a drop of it's death. It's probably better to do that, isn't it? I want do a drop want... of death yeah. as well. Would you like a drop of death? Thank you. Okay, so I think it smells kind of like a, a bit of an autumnal floral. You know, it's sort of a, a dark floral. It's, well, it's the idea that lilies are associated with death because they are used at funerals. Um, there's, there's a lot of reason why lilies are, have been associated with death sort of through. Um, and calla lilies and sort of um, the big oriental lilies, I think, more than lily of the valley. Um, but lilies, lilies themselves are an unusual flower. I mean, I, I heard about lily of the valley, I think it was, that in a scientific experiment, um, there were petri dishes of all sorts of different floral scents and different scents filled with sperm or something. And the only ones the sperm were interested in were lily of the valley. So it's got this really weird sort of muskiness to it, I think, that apparently sperm really like. Do you think people associate the smell of lilies with, with death? in a kind of cultural sense? Some people do, but um, but then I think others don't have that association, but because it's so talked about, mm. there's, there's a nervousness that, oh, well, I don't really think that, but maybe if they yes. are, I can't yeah. really get involved in the lily sense. Yeah, yeah, my, my mum does that, exactly. She goes, oh, flowers of death, them, all flowers of death. And I'm like, well, how many flowers have you seen? How many have you seen at funerals? And she's like, oh, well, none, because, you know, someone had such and such a flower because lilies are the flowers of death. And it is really strange. I mean, there is this idea that if you put lilies, white lilies with red roses, that is called blood and bandages. That happens to be my favourite bouquet, long before I knew that it was called blood and bandages. But um, there's this idea that nurse on wards won't allow bouquets of red and white flowers particularly in that combination because it's a bad omen um so you know it's it, it, there is an association but for some people hardly anybody knows that about blood and bandages but anyone who works in a hospital will before i became an apt i did a year out um, everyone else went to thailand and stuff and i went to a funeral home uh, and learned how to do embalming but it was the first time i'd really been into a funeral home and um I obviously didn't know anyone who died and there were lilies everywhere and it was really relaxing and I was having a whale of a time. So to me, lilies smell like the best year ever. So, you know, I don't have that association. So I think it just depends.
So this is a very different kettle of fish because Demisa, I mean, I'm sure you're really familiar with these. Friend of the show. Yeah, we've, uh, we've interviewed Mark Crames, who runs it. Yeah, so they um, kind of specialise in very realistic scents, don't they? So when they have a scent called earthworm, I mean, as far as I know, it smells like soil and, I don't know, worms. Um, so this is, this is actually something that is meant to... It just makes me smile. It smells so much like a funeral home. It's unbelievable. It smells like um, cosmetics on an embalmed face. That's exactly what that smells like to me. Did you want to squirt? <laughs> And it's meant to have in it a bit of um, dusty carpet because, you know, apparently all funeral homes have dusty carpets in them. But I think it's one of those things, a bit like death and decay, in that if you said to somebody, um, smell this perfume, it's called funeral home or death and decay, they would go, oh, that's horrible. But if you let people smell it and don't tell them what it's called, then they'll probably go, oh, yeah, that's quite nice, you know. And it's only really to me that I have some associations with the, like, the embalming and stuff just because I've experienced that. Other people probably won't, so... So we're now in in the muse main museum room. Yes, yeah. This is the this is the collection. Um, I also have a kind of small workshop, but this is where all of it is displayed. Um, so this museum was built in 1879. Um, as you can see, it's you know still of that kind of decor, hasn't been updated. And it's three different mezzanine levels, so it's very similar to how all medical museums were, you know, made about that time. And it has a glass ceiling, again, very similar to how they used to be, simply because these students used to come in here and look through microscopes as well, look at the specimens, and there was no electric light, so they would get all the light from the ceiling. All the specimens down on this level are over 100 years, and then the ones on the upper levels are sort of theoretically where the students would go and they're younger. Um, bear in mind though, I mean, it is my job to kind of conserve all these 5,000 specimens and I'm only kind of halfway through the top floor anyway. So people can't really go up on that floor whether we've got a, a license or not really. The sexiest, most gruesome one I've got, I can't show you because it's up on the top floor. No, um, let's see what we can, um, what we can look at. Um, this one up there, there's a body part next to a dagger. Is that the dagger that was used to kill that person? Oh, did you mean the one that's, um, yeah. sorry, on the very top yes. shelf? No, actually, that's, um, that's, the, uh, that's the intestine of a chronic sodomite. <laughs> I don't oh know. Well, no, no, he no. didn't put it up there. It's just, <laughs> it's just the way it's been catalogued. And for some reason, because obviously being a sodomite was an issue in, I don't know what year, it was maybe 1920, no, 1930 or 40. And um, what they've done is they've kept the intestine and then they've also put, can you see a little cross section photograph there? So just to show you how wide it was. <laughs> and that's not the worst one that we have up there. So, <laughs> um, but so for down here, I think what I will show you is, um, let's go and take a look at the ones at the back. These ones here are uh, chimney sweeps cancer of the scrotum which is obviously something we only saw when we had chimney sweeps, which we thankfully don't now. Um, and the reason these are important is because um, 
what used to happen was some of the boys that were went up the chimneys were actually naked, um, and if they weren't, they didn't wear very much clothes. Um, they also were poor, so they didn't wash very often, and the the sort of the carcinogens in the soot would get caught in the wrinkles of the scrotum, and um, and that would end up causing a cancer. So this became like a specific thing that would happen to chimney sweeps. And it also became the first kind of evidence of epidemiology, you know, the study of like certain occupational diseases and things like that. This is the cabinet that everybody loves because it's the um, the objects that have been found in people's various different orifices. Um, and this one over here is a torch, which was found in the anus of a man who says that he was assaulted by a gang and they put it up there. But actually the doctors just said that theory was kind of improbable um, and he'd probably been doing it to himself. I mean, this whole cabinet will sort of give you an idea that there was not a lot to do many years ago. So you would just put things in yourself. I think that was like a hobby. <laughs> there's no, I mean, there's no real medical reason why the torch was kept. You can see there the, um, the x-ray with the torch in situ, just to show you, just to really make sure you've got, you know, the idea of what happened. Um, so, you know, maybe they were just kept because they were so funny or, you know, unique. Or, but I think what's interesting is now they're old enough that they have this historical um, context, which is why they're important in this museum, because all of these specimens together build up a picture of, of what people were doing <laughs> around that time. But the reason it's important, for example, is there's a lot of things here that have been shoved up urethras and I thought to myself well what you know what was happening why were, were people doing that um but it's because people had cystitis and they didn't realize what the problem was there was no medical education so they thought that they had a blockage they were trying to you know go oh. go through the blockage so as funny as they might sound like they are um you know I'm respectful of them in the sense that they do tell a really important story of sort of like the history of medicine really So my site is Dead Meat and it's it's a dating and networking site. So basically it's LinkedIn for people in the death profession. And that's just because, you know, we're a specific breed of people, you know, we have a certain outlook on life, we have a certain gallows humour, and I think, you know, it's nice to be able to talk to people who are in the same industry as you. If you've seen a lot of death, there is this appreciation of, of life that, you know, and, and a sort of, a certain sense of humour, um, obviously a kind of desire to do something that is quite helpful. Like, people who work in these industries are doing something that's really important, whether they're, like, a histopathologist or a, a scene-of-crime officer. They're all kind of working towards the greater good. So I just think there's some things that they have in common. Um, it's just exactly the same as a, a, a forum for a certain band. You know, they're going to want to be able to talk to people who feel the same, you know, different other fans. It's the same kind of thing. And also just because when people are trying to put events on or trying to do um, research projects, they want to find people as well who are similar to them so there's, there's definitely a kind of wider movement at the moment where people are becoming interested in death um, and kind of a bit more ready to deal with it and talk about it um, so what I try and do is 
engage people in a, in a nice sort of friendly innocuous way so it might be for example chocolate spines or whatever I mean we had a huge event here a few years ago with cakes that were all anatomical um, and then the things like um, so we have like 50 shades of pathology event where we talk about things like we've talked about today the colors in pathology why they're important slightly blue tint in the skin slightly pink tint um, and then we have nude models and we paint organs onto them so that people can see where the organs are without obviously having to look inside a body and that's something that medical students do as well it's one of the ways they they learn over at mile end in our um uh, campus trying to use these nice ways to engage people with death and um, so one of those things will be for example scent and we have an event coming up um in September which is all about the smell of fear you know can people always say that don't they I can smell the fear on you can you really smell fear you know and we're going to look at different movies um and sort of try and try different smells um so yeah so a lot of different ways to engage with the topic without being kind of offensive we're looking at um different um ideas of creatures and different types of fear to do with death and dying um and different kinds of ghouls mm. so it's going to be slightly more cultural and fantasy based i think to warm us up mm. and then um if that goes well then we might do something more specific around some of the things we've talked about today and actual pathology and smell I'm Catholic actually and I think that's one of the reasons that I've got a more accepting attitude to things like human remains and death because it's kind of ingrained in us from an early age. I mean, human remains in this museum are in one context, human remains as holy relics in churches are another, you know, different context. Um, so I, I don't, as a scientist as well, um, I obviously don't believe in heaven. Um, what I believe is that, um, I believe in the first law of thermodynamics actually, which is that energy can't be created or destroyed, it can only change form. So. Basically, that means that the the Earth is a kind of one sort of closed, enclosed biosphere, and so our molecules obviously just kind of get reused all the time. So that's that's what I believe. So I don't believe in like literal reincarnation where a person's thoughts can travel through different bodies, but I think it's like Edward Monk said, um, "From my rotting body, flowers shall grow, and I am in them, and that is eternity." I was wanted to ask a question about, um, you know, like your concept of a spiritual afterlife and if that could be associated with a scent. It would be alcohol because, you know, I was talking about the pots and how they kind of, they have micropores in them and this, this sort of substance evaporates from the specimens. Well, that's got a name and it's called the angel share. So I think that kind of fits. So for me, it would probably smell like alcohol. And I think it makes sense that heaven would be alcohol soaked. <laughs> you can drink as much as you like and never get sick. <laughs>